What are you afraid to tell them? Even though you know what they need to hear, what's the part that you'll probably leave out? Let's pray and then let's jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, I pray that you would give us light from your word today. Lord, stand in front of me while I stand in front of them. Talk over me while I talk to them. Light the way for your glory's sake and our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord, did you catch that? The word of the Lord, you'll see that in the beginning of this chapter, at the end of this chapter, and then in verse 7 of this chapter. The word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. They didn't have scripture the same way we have it. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli... Eli is... A priest, and we've learned that he has not kept his house in order. Um, he's let his sins, his sons run rampant and uh, let them get away with stuff he shouldn't let them get away with. But he's the priest and he's in charge. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had grown dim so that he could not see. Do you see the, the symbolism of there's no frequent visions because the priest can't see. Usually in the Bible, people that are physically blind have great spiritual insight. It is the opposite with Levi. I'm sorry, with Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Again, you see the symbolism of things are very dark. And Samuel is lying down in the temple of the Lord, also known as the tent of meeting, where the ark of God was. So in Exodus 27, verses 20 and 21, we learn that it was the priest's responsibility to keep the uh, olive oil-fueled candle lit, um, or lamp lit all night long, so that it would never go dark uh, around the Ark of the Covenant. And so they have delegated this job to Samuel. He's sleeping next to the Ark, making sure that the lamp stays lit. Again, it's very symbolic. Then the Lord called Samuel. You might count those called if you like that sort of thing. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go back to bed. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again. Samuel. And Eli arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Hey. Who's calling? Yeah, the Lord. The Lord is the one calling. Look at me a minute. Why does God's voice sound like Eli to Samuel? 
what he's used to? Anybody else have an idea? It's his father figure. True. It is his father. God uses people. Is that what you said, Dave? Yeah. Asher, did you have a thought? What do you think? He's a priest, and so he speaks for God. Good thoughts? I'll talk about what I think in a second. But he said, I did not call my son. Go lay down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord and the word of the Lord. Every, every word there is important. Okay? And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Remember, it begins with the word of the Lord. There's the word of the Lord in verse 7. And then it ends with the word of the Lord. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And it sounds so much like Eli that Samuel runs to him again. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli puts it together. Eli puts the pieces together and says, It must be God. There's nobody else here. It has to be God. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came. I remember translating this in seminary. And it just like being mind-blowing. Here's Yahweh himself. Here's Yahweh himself. Calling to this boy, the boy lays down again. Like if you've ever had little kids and they keep getting out of bed, you know how this feels if you're Eli, you know, and, and the kid gets back in bed again. And Yahweh himself came, enters the tent of meeting, and stood. It's like planted himself. Yahweh himself is in this, standing next to his bed. And stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak. That's a command? <laughs> it is. It's a command. Speak, for your servant hears. God, just not in a bad way, in a good way, condescends. Like, like makes himself... Low so that he can be heard. Makes himself, comes down to where Samuel can hear him. And Samuel can understand him. God could have spoken in any language he wanted. But God decided to speak in a way that little Samuel can understand. And Samuel said, speak, Lord. Or speak, he doesn't include the Lord like uh, Eli told him to. But speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. Like, do you think this is going to be good or bad? A good tingling or a bad tingling? Those of you that know the story know the answer to that question. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And we saw last week, he said some really... Uh, really bracing stuff to Eli, that if he doesn't repent, some really bad things are going to happen to him and his house. 
On that day, I will fill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Man, that's important. Like, it's not like God's going to punish him and bring all this disaster on his house. And Eli's going to sit around wondering, what happened? What did I do wrong? No, he knew. He knows. He can't say that he wasn't warned. He can't say that he didn't know. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. So he's like the high priest. He's the priest in charge. They, in a sense, work for him. And he is complicit in their sins because he could have stopped them and he didn't. Not all of us are in situations like that with our adult children. Not all of us have the ability to stop our adult children from things they're doing. But Eli had the ability to stop his kids from this stuff. And he didn't. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. You know what the last word is? It's a really long one. Forever. So Samuel lay until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Again, has to be symbolic. That ministry is going to begin happening again. That there's light being let in. Truth being let in. Then he opened the, house, the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. So if you're the young boy, Samuel, and you know now what you know, the truth that has been revealed, and the guy you work for, you, you got to tell him these really hard things. You, you know that's got to be a scary thing. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what is it that he told you? Who's the he in that question? That's right. Does Eli wonder where Samuel's getting his information? Eli knows with absolute clarity where Samuel is getting his information. Eli is the one that figured it out. Eli is the one that said, oh, this is God. This is God calling. Eli is the one that figures it out. So Eli says to him, so what do you say? And he says, do not hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything of me that he told you. So Eli already knows that it's coming from God. And Eli already knows that it's bad. Eli can't ever say that he wasn't warned. Even before the warning, he was warned. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. 
Remember how we talked about who is it that you're having in your mind, okay? Who is it that needs the light of God's word on their path? And then what is the truth that you need to tell them? And then finally, what will you want to hide from them? What will you probably not tell them? What should you tell them that you don't want to tell them? Well, Samuel, the young boy, tells him everything and hides nothing. Pretty good example of word ministry. And he said, yep, that was God. So Eli, Eli says, well, what did he say? And Samuel says, I'm going to tell you a message that will make your ears tingle. He's, and, and then he tells him, and Eli says, yep. No doubt, no doubt about it. That definitely was the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Does Eli change? No, Eli does not change a thing. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And, from, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Which, by the way, is where Hannah, Samuel's mom, also went up to worship. And the Lord appeared again at, Sh at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. It's light ministry. It's word ministry, the way the Lord makes himself known. So, so as we talk about meeting God in a royal mess... Meeting the Lord in the transitions and turmoil and trouble of life. And that's how we meet the Lord. What can we learn about this? Well, the, the, first, the first truth that I, I think we can really learn from this passage is that it is the Lord who initiates the relationship. It is the Lord that calls. So, so think about how the Lord had called to Samuel. Was it Samuel that, that had searched for the Lord and searched for the Lord and searched for the Lord and searched for the Lord? Or, or did the Lord just call Samuel? See, this is important because if you're like, I don't know if I'm looking hard enough. I don't know if I'm searching hard enough. I, I think you need to know that the Lord calls you. He calls you. So think about this for Samuel. You know, I, I, and this is something that I had never put together, I guess. I had always thought that God's relationship with Samuel started in chapter 3. But that's not true. In the same way, God's relationship with you doesn't start the minute you get saved. God's relationship with Samuel started back in chapter 1. So in chapter 1, we read, But Hannah, that's Samuel's mom, But Hannah, uh, but to Hannah he gave a double portion, Because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So Samuel's mom was barren, And it was God that was making her barren. God, God was the one that did it. Even though her husband wanted her to have kids or trying to have kids, they couldn't have kids because God wouldn't let her have kids. Then, 
It says in the next verse, and her rival, that's the other wife that probably Elkanah married because Hannah couldn't have kids, and her rival used to provoke her grievously, that's an important word, like grievously, like terribly, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. This was so that she would come to a place where she comes to this understanding with God, where she says, Lord, if you give me a baby, I'll give him back. And so Samuel is raised at the temple as God redeems this pain for good. And it's kind of come together now in Samuel's call to the ministry, to word ministry. Here's what I want you to see. Hannah had no idea at the time. She had no idea whatsoever at the time why the Lord had closed her womb. But God had a purpose for her pain. And it was so that he could call her son to word ministry. It may be that you're here and you're like, I do not understand this pain at all. I do not understand it and I do not like it. What Hannah, what Hannah calls it in verse 16 is great anxiety and vexation. She talks about her pain like great anxiety and vexation. Anxiety like it's very, very wor worrisome. And vexation like it's super duper frustrating. And you may be in a spot where you're like, I do not understand this. I hate this. And there's part of you that hears that the Lord has a purpose for your pain. And you go, I don't care. Can I just be vulnerable with you and say, I've felt that. And it passes. You'll see that the Lord is redeeming our pain for good. You'll see that the Lord brings fruit out of this trouble. But for now, just know the Lord is the one who calls. The Lord is the one who moves. The Lord is the one who initiates. The Lord is the one who pulls us along. What do we learn about the Lord? Well, the Lord, the Lord calls. We also learn about the Lord that the Lord warns. You know, this is what we said about Eli several times the Lord warns, and you know, he'd been warned before in chapter 2 by the man of God. Man of God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill all y'all. And the only one left is going to be there so he can weep. I mean, it's like, whoa. We said, this is, this is so that he will repent. So, you know, so I asked earlier, why does God's voice sound to Samuel like Eli? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you my thought, and maybe this is wrong, and you should forget it quickly. 
Here's, here's a thought that I had never thought before. What if God made his voice sound like Eli to Samuel so that Samuel would keep going to Eli so that Eli would come to the conclusion that it must be a message from God? What if God's voice sounding like Eli to Samuel was God's grace towards Eli convincing him that this message was for him and that he had better repent. What if, what if this is grace towards Eli to say, this is from me. You need to hear this message. And so Eli comes to his own conclusion that this message is from God. And so he seeks out Samuel in the morning and says, what do you say? Because he knows it's from God. All I know is God has given Eli chance after chance after chance after chance. And what Eli might be doing is thinking that because God is patient, he must also be lenient. And let me tell you, that's a mistake. It is a mistake to confuse Slow to anger, and God does describe himself as slow to anger. With never gets angry. God does get angry. You know, it's a mistake to think that because the hammer hasn't fallen yet, God has lost the hammer. He warns Eli through the voice of Samuel. So the Lord, the Lord calls, the Lord initiates the relationship with Samuel. It's, it's God who does it. And as the Apostle Paul put it, that the Lord had planned this and initiated this relationship with Samuel before the foundations of the earth. Like this goes back a really long ways. Ephesians chapter 1. I think verse 3 and 4. This goes back a really long ways. The Lord calls. The Lord warns out of his mercy. And then third, the Lord reveals himself through his word. He gives light to our way. He gives light to our path by helping us see the truth in his word. As we understand the word and we see the reality around us for the truth, of what it is. The Lord reveals himself through his word. Now let's just talk for a minute. About this word ministry. The Lord shows up. Introduces himself to Samuel. Samuel is a young boy at the time. We don't know how old. He's, he's a young, young boy. Introduces himself to this young boy. With a message. For. Somebody else with a message for Eli. Now think about this. Think about this. This is your introduction to word ministry where you're, say, 12, and you got to go talk to your father figure who's 
older than 12. Is that intimidating? That's intimidating. That is hard. Welcome to Word Ministry. It's hard. You know, Samuel has no status. Eli is all status. Samuel is young. Eli is old. Samuel is like a kid. Eli's like his dad. Like, like this is going to be hard. It's going to be scary. It's going to be difficult. But this is how word ministry is. Word ministry is difficult and scary and uncomfortable. When you're sh- shining light on stuff that other people would rather keep in the dark. And I, I was talking to a buddy of mine that's a pastor uh, this morning. And so we, we both, we kind of understand the, the different dynamics of word ministry. And I, I was telling them that in, in some ways, I think it's easier to stand up here and talk to a whole bunch of you, shine light on a whole bunch of you, than it is to have a really, really tough conversation just one-on-one. And, and shine the light of God's truth on something that they don't want it shined on. And that's what God calls each of us to do. Especially within our own families. Parents to children. It's like, I don't want to go there. It's going to be so emotionally costly to go there with them. Children with parents, I don't want to go there. It's going to be so emotionally costly to go there with them. Husbands and wives, I don't want to go there. It's going to be so emotionally costly to shine the light on that. I I don't want to do that. Friends, that is word ministry. That is serving people with the truth of God's word. And that is what we are all called to on some level. The Lord is the one that calls. The Lord is the one that warns. And the Lord is the one that reveals himself to us through his word. So what should we do? Well, the first thing that I would like to say is the first. I would I would want to encourage you because I think there's there's a sense in which a lot of us are afraid we'll miss God's calling on our lives. We're afraid that we'll miss what God has to say to us or we'll miss it. We'll miss it somehow. And I guess I would just offer you this, that, you know, if God wants to be heard, he'll, he's a pretty good communicator. So I think you could rest in this idea that God is the one who calls. And when he wants to be heard, he will be heard. You know, sometimes I was going to tell a story about Ezra and he's not here. I try not to tell a story. Oh, there he is. Okay. So sometimes Ezra is in the basement and he's doing whatever he's doing down there. And I use my thumbs because you probably can guess what I'm thinking of. And I'll say, Ezra, and I won't hear anything. And I'll say, Ezra, and I won't hear anything. I won't do the next one because I don't want to pay for the sound system. 
But you can imagine, if I want to be heard, I can be heard. (laughs) I can also go down there. That's also an option. Hey, if God wants to be heard, he'll be heard. So you're just going to, okay, okay. It's not that, it's not that God talks in this voice that you can't hear unless, unless you are perfectly, perfectly, perfectly tuned. God will get a hold of you. Just, just so you can have it in your notes. Um, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I want to read to you from Romans 8.30. Romans 8.28, of course, is the famous verse that he works all things together for good. And then Romans 8.29 is about how he works all things together for good so that we'll become more and more like Jesus. That's what working all things together for good means, that we'll become like Jesus. And then Romans 8.30 says... And those whom he predestined, so God predestines, he also called. Here's our word. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's that's all God. God is the one that predestines, God is the one that calls, God is the one who justifies, and God is the one who glorifies. And he's so sure of it, he can talk about it in the past tense. So I want you to rest. I also want you to repent. Like, hear the warnings. If if there are warnings that have been going off and light that has been shed on your life again and again and again, and you've kept telling yourself it will be okay, you probably won't get caught, Don't confuse patience with leniency. Don't confuse... Don't confuse slow to anger with never gets angry. Don't confuse giving us time to repent with there will never be consequences for not repenting. Christ came and died for our sins and bore God's wrath in our place so that we could repent. To refuse that, and refuse that, and refuse that, is to spit in God's face, and to mock at Christ's sacrifice. Do not do that. So repent. And, we're back where we started, tell them. You know, if if God has called you to shed light, Somebody's life through word ministry, tell them. Tell them. We ask who, who is it that God wants you to tell? Who is it that God wants you to shed light on something in their life? Who is it? What does God want you to say to them? And the most important question is, what will you probably leave out? You know, if you have a history of telling the truth all the way to eight and a half, don't hide anything from them. 
Tell them all of it. Go all the way to 10. This is the way to serve them as you serve our Lord Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, I thank you for your word and the light that it gives us. Lord, pull us each towards yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen.